welcome to my basement, everybody. You are uh, in in the basement with my good friend Sam Moscovich from Ars Technica, who has returned. It's been a little while. Uh, there's been a ton happening in the video game industry. How are you, my friend? How's everything going? Uh, you know, I'm hanging in there. Uh, we don't have a heat dome where I'm in in Seattle anymore, so I've been able to enjoy our normal summers, which are the only months that we have anything that resembles consistent sunlight. Yeah. So that's been nice amid, you know, an otherwise crazy amount of stuff in our specific nerdy tech game entertainment industries. But yeah, I'm hanging in there. How's it going over there? It's going okay. We were in the heat dome. Uh, we were on a vacation during the middle of the heat dome in uh, Victoria, B.C., which is a beautiful city. Hello, Victoria. Uh, and uh, it was so freaking hot. All we wanted to do was stay in the hotel and then race to a restaurant to be a part of the air conditioning. Did, but didn't you beautiful. just go to the Queen's quarters and get the best air conditioning in town? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> uh, my wife found us a nice enough hotel. We were good. And we ate at a restaurant called uh, the Ruby, which is my daughter's name. So that was good. There's a plug for the Ruby. It was Love very it. nice. Um, listen, this podcast and a lot of what we do here on EPN is brought to you by our friends at the Gaming Stadium. They are Canada's leader in online esports tournament facilitation. They have got tournaments happening every single weekend, including this one. So make sure you check them out at TGS.GG. Okay, Sam. Oh, what are you doing? You're you're doing some. Uh, Oh, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to interrupt. I'm just, you know, playing with playing with my crank, playing with my uh, playing with my play date. That's so cool. Okay, well, this is the first thing that I wanted to talk with you about. Um, first of all, a, a quick shout out to uh, the folks that have joined us on the live chat. This Dave Gibbons is out there. C Smith, Hip Hop Dan, Goku, how you doing? Uh, Peter Kokasar, Dave Gibbons. Uh, um, we've got Blair Farrell. Congrats on your article in Polygon, my friend. Uh, Pathetic Earthling is here. Fantastic to see all you guys. But uh, let's talk about Playdate because you just wrote up a huge feature uh, in Ars Technica about this thing. Now, this is a new handheld that goes on pre-order next week, yeah? That is correct. They sent me this uh, earlier in July and said, go ahead, take your time playing with it. We're going to have a pre-order go live by the end of July. Yeah. And they've now firmed up that that is... Thursday, July 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern is when pre-orders will go live. That'll be $179 for this hardware, that which comes with a season of 24 games that'll launch two a week from shipment until the end of that season. And supposedly those pre-orders will be fulfilled by the end of this year. Yep. They've announced roughly 22,000 of these little 179 doodads yeah. uh, will be on sale this year. And if you show up for the pre-order, they won't turn you down. They will take your order and they will adjust their manufacturing for early 2022 accordingly. Oh, and wow. they they point that out because there have been quite a few portable systems talked about or announced as of late. Yeah, the analog uh, pocket. The analog pocket in last year, its pre-orders were insane. They yeah. shut down pre-orders at a certain point because yes. of capacity. Ship shortage things made them drag out the, the shipment for that longer and longer. So the company Panic, they're based in Portland, Oregon. Yep. They've been tinkering with a lot of things over the decades and most recently have been a game publisher for um, Firewatch and Untitled Goose Game, among other games. Didn't make them, but published them and got That's them so out cool. and blah, blah, blah. And they teamed up with um, a, mini, or a, a design firm, Teenage something or other. I, I forget their name. Yeah. But basically... I think what happened with this, which by the way, black and white, low powered, yeah. uh, small battery, very thin. It's not even a centimeter in width. It's close. Yeah. It's a, it's three inches by three inches. I think 74 millimeter by 70, 74 millimeter. Um, and they, I think what happened was they found out about e-reader screens 
fully black and white being way better than we would think. You yeah. get an e-reader screen in something like a Kindle and you don't realize that if you keep the refresh rate constant, you'll get an incredibly crisp picture that doesn't ghost. So as you're playing games on this, you will get honestly a, a really, really nice refresh rate. Uh, so now, this it's is not a Game be... Boy. It's not like it is... the green and black Game Boy from the late 80s. Correct. Um, and it, it looks incredibly industrial designed. It looks like they prototype like crazy to kind of come up with the form factor. It also right. looks kind of hipstery, like kind of retro and kind of, you know, cool, uh, celebra celebrating the, the past and the nostalgia of games, but also kind of hip for the moment. Correct. And this it's... crank thing is the right. big sales right. so feature, it, right? Anyone watching the video version is seeing that I'm holding it up and holding on a little, it's about a one inch crank that can uh, be uh, retracted or put in at all times. Right. So some games use a crank. Uh, this current game that I have showing right here is called Kranken's Time Travel Adventure. Okay. It's made by Kaita Takahashi, who is famous for Katamari Damachi and Nobi Nobi Boy, among nice. other games. Nice. And, and this was unveiled when the system was unveiled in 2019. Right. Uh, crank only. And you crank it forward and backward in this game, and your character moves forward and backward in time. And other elements in this game world do uh, move on their own timetable. So the idea is every level is a challenge where you walk this character around, and they might bend over, or they might jump up and freeze in time once you let go of the crank, and then everything else moves around it. So it's this simple, cute thing that requires oh, no buttons. You're kind of going through a rotoscope animation kind of thing, right? Like yeah. you're going through frames of the animation. And well, but the rest of the world is the rest of the world is moving at a different speed, and that's the puzzle of it. So some games, and I've gotten four games thus far. Right. Some of them use some of the buttons. Some are button only, and some yeah. are crank only. Yeah. But the idea is that each game is bite-sized, uh, developed developed with a small scope by a small indie team, uh, and I would say could be equivalent to a one or five dollar game, depending on the scope. Some of them okay. are hours long. Some of them are quick score chasing kinds of games. Uh, but the idea was... But unique um, to the system. Unique so, to the system. Right. So it's it's kind of hard to quantify what the price would be because this is the only place you'll be able to play these games. They're all right. exclusive, right? Right. So so the idea, I mean, the idea of this system is that it is low-powered, cute, cheap, and, and hipstery, yeah. uh, but you're paying $180, number one, because of the unique build of it number two because of how it's I'd, I'd say it's very cleverly engineered it feels great the buttons feel great right the screen looks fantastic if you have direct light there's no backlight so right. you need to have like if i turn this uh, if you're watching the duty scene yeah. it is dim at this angle then i turn it directly at the camera nice and, and i've crisp. got a little light yeah. and it pops and yeah it looks fantastic so yeah. I, I took this to a bar and some friends had to really wiggle it around to get that angle and then i'll just be sitting in my home and all of my ambient lighting is good enough so yeah. it really place by place that issue can vary but you end up with also those 24 games which are going to be a surprise i was given four games to test out and talk about at length for people who don't want that surprise who want to know flat out what you can expect and if you go to arstechnica.com my feature is there that goes in length at those four games it spoils that surprise I won't do that here. It, yeah. The one I showed is one that's been in YouTube, has been most talked about, is you know the least spoilery, I would say. But yeah. um, the idea is it's it's basically saying you could go and build your own device for 180 bucks, a Raspberry Pi or an Arduino, plus a small screen, some buttons. 
you could do that. You could go to Alibaba or some other electronics kind of retailer and build your own thing for 180 bucks. But would it be this specifically crafted? And would it include those unique games? Not necessarily. And so right. I think that's why they said, you have three weeks, Sam, to play with this and get a sense of what that sales pitch is. And ultimately what I would say is, if you look at it, if you watch me crank it, if you see that cute game with the crank as part of the control and you think that's interesting, then you should you should get it. Yeah. And if you look at all this and you go, I'm good, I've got other options. I've got a, an, an, or a, a, you can get a Sega Genesis Classic for what, 80 bucks, then that yeah. has two controllers. Yeah. That plugs into a TV, which this does not. That supports yeah. two players, which does not. There's, there's a lot of options out there. for. But they're cheap. all playing the classic stuff. And I think what Playdate and Panic is trying to do is, is uh, not just give you a season of games, but they're trying to hopefully sell all 20,000 of these units and then get some interest on selling more and then inspire some creators to, you know, think a little bit out of the box with yeah. new content for this thing. And so it, it's 180 bucks, but 24 games included and they're dropping two a week, right? Yeah. So it's it's 12 weeks of commitment from Panic, which is pretty cool. And not only that, there's a two other things. Number one, they've said, they're going to enable creators after that season to mm -hmm. get games onto this. We don't know what's going to happen. Will they sell another season pass? Will they have a little store built in? We don't know. All we know is that they are asking developers to make more stuff and find a way to get them paid for it somehow. So we'll find out about that. But also, there's a web development interface that they're going to give away for free, whether right. you own this or not, to yeah. make your own Playdate games. Oh, and wow. it's designed to let you create your own pixel art, your own logic, your own sound. It's this, it, it seems to be pretty fully fledged and that taps into Lua, which is mm. its own programming uh, language and fork. But you can just be a super nerd and roll your own with C. You can yeah. just program your own rudimentary thing and this is, by the way, it's a 400 by 240 pixel resolution, which is roughly quadruple what you get on a Game Boy. Oh, wow. And what you end up with is you can do Game Boy level pixelation and then use the sub pixels to add dithering or add other fine tuned details. So That's if you just cool. wanted to have your scope be, oh, something that is a similar square uh, ratio, square like shape on Game Boy and do it there. That's an option. So are they bringing they Obra Dinn to, to the game? To the, the, the uh, Lucas Pope is the developer of uh, Return of the Obra Dinn yeah. and Papers, Please and other games. And he yeah. has announced and even teased his own brand new game, okay. which uh, works with the crank. And the little video he showed appeared you use the crank to look up and down through a slot in a door as a bouncer. So it's sort of Papers, Please, but in a different light of being a bouncer. And every everything that you see through the slits in the doors is alien heads and alien eyeballs and things. We don't know exactly how it'll work. But Oberdeen requires ma a mouse. Yeah. And this, there's no mouse. There's no touch. You tap right. the screen, nothing happens. The idea how, is... How are the buttons? D does it feel as good as a Game Boy? Does it feel like, uh, like it's really well machined? I don't know if you can... I don't know if you can hear, I'm making the click noises. This is my um, ASMR tryout, but this D-pad is fantastic. I really think this D-pad, the way it's molded is way better than you might think based on the shape of it. Right, I think right. it's a really, really nice clicky D-pad. The A and B buttons are a little more spaced out than I wanted. And mm. my test in my brain was I closed, I watched YouTube videos of Neo Geo Pocket fighting games, which right. were just a D-pad and buttons and pretended to play that. It was a little more spaced up than I liked. I actually had to sort of turn my thumb all the, I mm. can't, I, right. I, all the way sideways to cover both, which is oh. not the same as sort of the Game Boy angling and yeah, space. Yeah, you just press your, your thumb on the on the two buttons at once, which you it's need a, to do it's for a some little, 
it's a little more spaced out than hold B to run, press A to jump. Like okay. it, you can do it, but I'm kind of confused as to why they did that. And I they say this is the final hardware, so so be it. Not a does deal the breaker. crank get in the way when you're holding it, or does it does it totally go Number flush one, with the machine? No, it doesn't really. Like you could wind it to the top there to make sure. Yeah. Number two, you just it just slots right in. Okay. It just there's a little hole, so you just put it away if, if the game doesn't call for it. What's actually one thing that's really cool is if you're left-handed, you can turn it into reverse mode, and just have the image flipped, so you can crank on the left side instead of the right side right. if you want. How, um, how many so, games do you think are going to take advantage of the crank? Is it is it going to be mostly crank experiences? I think most people are going to use the crank in some way, but we don't have a guarantee of that. They right. haven't told me. There's no exact figure from Panic of the crank ratio, which by the way, that's a funny phrase. I know. What I will say is <laughs> um, it, it, the crank is interesting to me because to think, think about Super Mario 64, where you have a joystick and you can choose every precise direction that Mario might move. However, the crank only assigns the direction, not the velocity. Yeah. But so then go, okay, well, I could kind of do a 3D character in a pinch, even though this doesn't have 3D power. This is a weak processor. Let's be clear. 180, right. 180 megahertz for its primary processor and 80 megahertz for a secondary processor, which don't like add up that way. But you could do something like a turret. You could do a surfboard. There's a game where there's a surfboard and you design the exact the exact orientation of the board in 2D space by how you crank. That's it was cool. actually, I, I got into a nice flow state just aiming the surfboard ever so slightly because unlike a joystick when you do that you let go when it goes back to neutral this is always pointing in that direction so a spaceship a turret a surfboard a lot of sort of fixed directional things you can do with this in a way you can't do with a joystick right and i'm curious to see what game makers do with that especially for sort of simple scope games i see so a lot of potential you can't really can you can you turn the crank and also control or press buttons at the same time uh i mean i think you could slightly adjust like you could do the d-pad and the crank okay um but i wouldn't want to be you would want it to be this i believe the limited processing and the limited screen is about keeping it slow they're not looking for you're not going to be doing street fighter level fighting combos right you're going to be doing things that could be quick but also are going to be limited button wise or limited control wise. So this is the, the scope's limited and the season pass, I think uh, reflects the fact that they're saying to developers, here's a small amount of money, get a small team, whip something out like two steps above a game jam, I would say in terms of depth. But one of the games in here is about six hours. It's a sort of point and click adventure. Like some, some developers are going for it. So That's... we'll have to see, but I'm, I'm optimistic at the very least, you get 24 small games. You will love at least six of them is sort of my hunch. Yeah, and I guess it's an exercise, right? I mean, they're not looking to take over the world. It is kind of like an imagination exercise. What can developers do if they think in a completely different direction? And I, I ultimately, I think that price point is good for a, a, a world where these sorts of things sell out. I don't... Yeah struggle to see them not selling out that 22,000 at this price point. Sure. It's, it's, it's crafted. Well, I love, I love handing this to people. I, yeah. I was not supposed to, but of course I love breaking rules. I'd be yeah. out with friends. I'd hand them this and just, there's a limited, there's a limited amount of button control. So it's just easy to go. Okay. I can figure out each of these games without an instruction manual. It just works. It's fun. It looks cool. It feel it's fun. There's not a lot of stuff that we play with in this industry 
that's this fun. Think about portable gaming machines. Yeah. Since the Play It Loud generation of 90s Game Boys, it's been a lot of sleek things. And I don't blame companies for going that way, especially PSP and Vita. They sure. look like Walkman beefed up with steroids. And yeah. Nintendo followed suit with Clamshell 3DS and normal DS. And they had some cute stuff as well. But this is just all of it feels fun. They nailed it, in my opinion. I mean, I'm yeah. pre-ordering one. Oh, uh, you are. You're going and, for it. I'm going for it. And that's, yeah. I mean, I'm at a different point where like my entertainment budget, that's fine. That's not my break or break. This is not my only device. Yeah. But I love, I I, I want, I want these experiences. I want, I want these games. I want to yeah. see where it goes. I'm interested in the surprise. That's super cool. I could see them selling them at, at like art museums and things like that, you know, like, like, uh, uh, you know, like pop art or modern art or something like that. It would be, it sort of opens video games up in, in uh, different directions. Them what we would you're not going to see this at eb games or gamestop right the fact the fact that they're making it easy as a developer to just jump in and make stuff like i could conceivably use their tool set make my own dinky game release it for free this is not closed and i think yeah. that's the key that this is not something under lock and key where you just cool. get those pre-built games and it's done there is right. expansion there's they want people to not only buy it but exploit it as they see fit i could see a game boy emulator popping up on this i could see uh, arduino specific games popping up on this like sure. that there's there's expansions there that's awesome. All right, let's talk a little bit about the other huge handheld uh, <laughs> device, that's other, which is the antithesis to this. It is all the power that you could kind of imagine currently in a handheld. The Steam Deck, you were one of the first people in the world to talk about it publicly, and you talked about it here on Vic's Basement, and uh, it blew our minds when you did. Um, but uh, now it's been re revealed to the world. There's already pre-order shenanigans and people you know, hustling to try to figure out when they're going to get one and how they're going to get one. Uh, what were your thoughts on the unveiling of Steam Deck, and how excited are you now that it's out in the world? This is true. Your show was the first place that I hinted to knowing about the Steam Deck, which at the time was codenamed Steam Pal. Mm. Uh, there's some there's some people who may or may not be near where I live in Seattle, Washington, which is close to Bellevue, Washington and Valve's headquarters that had known about the development of this device for some time. Uh, and I managed to see a near final piece of hardware that sure enough, uh, after I wrote about it in May, came, was announced this week, or no, last week, I'd say. Yeah, last uh, week. Because I got my pre-order in last week. Yeah. Uh, the Steam Deck comes in three flavors, uh, from 400 American to 650 American. Uh, and it's basically a portable PC that's got an entire uh, Xbox-style array of buttons and joysticks and triggers built in, and it's not the first to do so. There have yeah. been a lot of Chinese OEMs uh, in the past, I'd say, 18 months, even longer. That Didn't have been Razorfish do one of these things as well? Some... I mean, I've lost track of the company yeah. names. But there's, yeah. it's not hard to go to look at what Intel and AMD now have scaled down chips that you can buy in bulk and slap into a small chassis. It's not the same as NVIDIA's Tegra X, X1 and X2 platform. Yeah. Uh, which is what the switch uses right it's maybe a little less efficient in the great scheme of things and also you just need more room for thermal dissipation it's an interesting new sector but now that intel and amd are in on it that makes it more it's happening more and not so much that any western uh hardware producers have really blown up on it meaning alienware announced its own kind of switch like pc that's right yeah controllers and things and it didn't it was just a concept reveal this was at ces 2020 which i think was one of the biggest ground zero breakouts of covid yeah. and that they showed off the concept and then it went silent <laughs> and i would 
And I wouldn't be shocked if other companies are building something similar. Switch is making a ton of money and there are computer companies that want to diversify. Selling big old computer towers isn't necessarily as lucrative as something that looks like the Switch that a parent would recognize from going to the store and seeing that kids love that crap. Yeah, I don't so, think any of this stuff would be happening if the Switch wasn't such a smash, right? If people, well, I mean, when we talk about the shrinking down of parts and getting the power up, like that's been more a more likely thing. It's not, oh my God, next-gen consoles are going to absolutely eclipse the past. We haven't really seen that yet, even though Series X and PlayStation 5 are powerful. It's more about we can get smaller cheaper things to be quite powerful, which is why the smartphone gaming system idea has always been kind of interesting, but never really took off. Yeah. Like getting, yeah. you know, a Sony uh, PlayStation branded phone. Well, uh, that's a lot of power that's got to be spent on also my phone calls and my text messages and my daily driving use. So that whole world we kind of thought would happen, but it didn't really pan out, probably mm -hmm. mostly because of battery efficiency. But the Switch has sort of opened up that idea of, you know what, people like having a phone and a Switch. Yeah. That it, there's room for both, but the Switch itself, long in the tooth, everyone kind of wondered, is there going to be a Switch Pro? Is there yeah. going to be a Switch that truly works fine portably, but has a dock that makes it look even better on a TV? And this year we learned, no, if that's going to happen, it's not yet. Yeah. And that was, I, I can't imagine that, uh, Valve didn't see that Switch OLED announcement and immediately say, go, 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 hit the button. We got to take that momentum. Clearly, there's a vacuum for more power in a Switch. It -like was thing. incredibly cheeky that they announced on the day that you could pre-order Switch OLED, wasn't it? I, I don't I don't know about anybody else in the chat, but my <laughs> feelings about Switch OLED absolutely tanked as soon as I realized, oh, my current Switch, it'll be nicer in portable mode, but not so much nicer as compared to how I use it. So yeah. I'll take that 350 that I might have spent on Switch OLED and pump it into whichever model of Steam Deck I get because I like the idea of what they're doing, which yeah. is probably as a Steam player have dedicated hardware that works at the house, but maybe you want something that scales down and lets you play all of your Steam library wherever you want with a scaled down OS and with built-in joystick controls and with honestly steam suite of features particularly steam controller updates so the community can go in take a game that was pc and mouse and just tab into the the steam interface and assign keyboard functions and to that's a, a gamepad yeah and and that's already out there and it's not hard to do um, I, I love the uh you know the cloud saves and all that stuff too i love like leaving a steam game for years and then saying i want to check that out again and it automatically downloads your save and tells you exactly where you are not for everything but it's really impressive technology i mean all the well, back-end stuff that valve's been working on for years is really and cool. you're you're only you're getting to the thing that nobody's really talking about and this shocks me which is yeah. um steam saved states appear to be coming if yeah. you watch the videos, you'll see someone tap their game and then it pops directly into the middle of the action. They do this with the game Control, which mm -hmm. hilariously launched on Epic Game Store before it finally got to Steam. Right. And now if you play its Steam version, you can essentially go boop, skip all the opening menus, skip all the configuration. You are in your game. Now, whether it's going to be a complete mess as it's implemented, who knows? But that's the thing that Series X really nailed was this quick resume sure. concept yeah. of you get your Xbox Series X, you freeze your game, you play Very something else, you come back like, to the first right? one. And it, when it works, it's fantastic. And when yes. it does it, it, it's a pain in the butt. So we'll see exactly how Steam pulls this off. But the idea of freezing my PC game, 
getting somewhere on the go, having enough internet access to grab whatever that save state data is and boom, right back to it on the portable version with a solid state drive built in if you buy the more expensive one. If it works as advertised, that'll be a nice perk. I don't need it, but I would like it, especially yeah. when you're portable, you want as little time spent battery with your battery going through loading screens as humanly possible. So. When you first heard about Steam Deck or Steam Pal, what were you thinking? Did you think that uh, Valve had lost its mind or did you see that there was a real opportunity for this? Oh, I saw it as an opportunity, 100%, because yeah. I'd seen those other OEMs, because I, as a guy who doesn't have enough gadgets, clearly, if this <laughs> play date isn't indicative enough, I like the, I, I've wanted, I've wanted a Switch like, uh, a PC that, that seems like a Switch that is built around gamepad controls. I love my keyboard and mouse kind of games, but I'm also into just, there's a lot of stuff I play on PC that doesn't require ray tracing. A lot of Hollow Knight, a lot of indie Absolutely. stuff, a lot of pixelated yeah. stuff. And so just the ability to lie in my bed, play those kinds of games and not worry about latency because it's streaming from uh, Steam Link or any of that other stuff. No, I want that instant twitchiness, not a ton of power, just dedicated hardware. So I've been dreaming of, okay, am I going to buy one of these Chinese OEM uh, Switch-like PCs? And so this happened, I'm like... I know that demand is there. I see on gaming forums that people have basically said, yeah, let's go. Let's get this that in a way that works. I think uh, this is going to be huge for the indie scene on Steam. I mean, I, I think it's going to be crazy to run Red, Red Dead Redemption 2 on the Steam deck or, uh, you know, Control or whatever. But I think loading up Owlboy or uh, Death Store or something like that and being able to play it anywhere beautifully that's going to be really cool. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of indie developers that win because of that. So you just tapped into an insane vein in terms of this conversation. I hope you yeah. know where I'm going because you said Red Dead Redemption 2, yeah. which is currently requires a launcher, which has to go through Proton. I'm not sure about Red Dead Redemption 2 and mm. its compatibility, but the concept for Steam Deck is that you either stick with its built-in OS which is a, uh, a distro of Linux, or you go in and you install your own Windows with its own license and blah, 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 because it is just a PC. That is what Valve has said, that yeah. this is just a PC that you can customize as you see fit, which is a great idea. But there are lots of other uh, launchers that have much worse Steam compatibility, Epic Game Store being the biggest. Yeah. But you've uh, it, when, you, when you tap into Linux plus Steam OS plus Steam Deck, there is that sense of, wow, Steam is offering some specific features. Steam is offering specific flexibility and cool stuff that only works on Steam and that will connect with Steam Deck. And that's not going to make developers immediately change everything by this December. But let's say they keep selling this. Let's say they really do break open the uh, PC gaming market with this device in the next one, two, three, five years. Yeah. What does that do to everyone else in the gaming sector? And we saw a tiny sliver of that when... Microsoft came out and said, hey, we had an announcement for specific things that you need to run Windows 11 and games and DirectX 12. Yeah, uh, no, that'll still work on older Windows. Yeah, and a lot of people saw that and go, is that about Steam Deck? And I don't think it was, but I do think we're gonna see a little bits here and there if this thing, thing succeeds. And it also changes the conversation about that 30% cut that Valve takes from every sell of a Steam game. Because right. if you are a developer and you are getting all of these new valve developed features that work on steam deck especially that like frozen game state kind of stuff 
that changes that conversation. That lets them demand that 30%. That changes their economic position right at a point when they needed that. As just on a financial basis, they needed that in order to defend that 30% because everyone else is coming for that 30% lunch. Well, it certainly creates a category, right? Like we've always looked at PC gaming as kind of a $1,000 price point barrier to entry. Yeah, even and to play kind of mid-level. But now you're in the sub $500 sort of handheld console market kind of space. And that's going to be an eye-opening thing for a lot of people out there, a lot of players out there that have maybe been a bit sort of hesitant to even go into PC gaming. I think we're going to see a lot of people pick this up for the first time. Uh, But I think Valve also has to find a way to get this thing available to people. I don't know if they can do it all through the Steam store, you know, which is right now the the only way that you can get it. Well, but the beauty of this of starting with the Steam store is that they pull a hundred percent of those sales. They mm-hmm. don't have to give a penny to Target or Best mm-hmm. Buy to sell it out. And I, we've now reached a turning point. Whether it's because of a chip shortage keeping their supply limited, right. whether it's due to any other factor, they still don't really need to launch at Best Buy at Target yet. They yeah. just. Only one outlet went hands-on with it. Now, I knew about it in advance, but I have not played with the final hardware. Only IGN has done that. And those pre-orders went. That's a lot of trust in Valve. And Valve got shouted at for failures in hardware, especially Steam machines, which was them partnering with other companies saying, hey, put these machines out and we'll just slap some Steam stuff on them. But since then, they built their own uh, streaming device, they built their own controller, and then they built their own virtual reality headset. And that progression, especially to the VR headset, was one where the quality was high, the QA process went well. I've yet to hear real horror stories about, oh, Valve messed up my order and they wouldn't refund it or it took right. too long to fix you it. You don't hear that. And right. in, a, in a world where gaming outrage is a dime a dozen, you sure. would expect to have proof of that mess if they'd had it. So what I mean is all of the things they needed to get their ducks in a row to make Steam Deck be a thing that people can trust, yep. that's QA, that's getting production partners, that's getting supply out into the world, they've proven that they can do that. Now, that's not to say Steam Deck couldn't launch with broken joysticks or a bunch of other stuff, but I mean, God, we're in a world Joy-Con of Joy-Con drift. drift. So if <laughs> if Nintendo can't get it right and Valve can do better than that, like that's like, Nintendo has just created a low bar for uh, Valve to clear on that respect. So I, it's interesting to see that amount of consumer confidence and their ability to get 100% of sales in this opening s- s- rush for a first-gen product that by the time they boost their capacity if they need to and get partnered with best buy and target and other big boxes that they could be in a position again two three years from now to truly own something that we would have never dreamed of before this there's a lot of discussion about the different uh storage options and which version is the best one to go for um it sounds like they're talking about SSDs can be upgraded or replaced, uh, but you're going to have to have some technical know-how to be able to open it up and not, you know, destroy it. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah the, bo- the bottom line. That? Well, the the bottom line there is that they basically said, if you want to void your warranty, go ahead. But right. also, have you ever tried to replace specific parts on a laptop before? Because if you have, then you know it's not that easy. There's some laptops will have various like unscrew a tiny thing and you can change the RAM. Sure. But that's about it. You're not changing the graphics card inside of a laptop. No. And storage capacity on this sounds like it's similarly doable but tricky. Like go go to iFixit and get one of their very, very nice torque screw sets and all that stuff with, you know, 
things to separate glue, uh, glued down materials and all that. But bottom line, they're moving into a space of going, you know, we're keeping a specific, not highest power spec. Again, the power draw that this thing has, that's the big thing. Yeah. Whether you're on battery or, or wall power, the same wattage, I believe about 15 watts. Um, and I'm sure I've got that specific phrasing wrong, but it's kind of wattage that has to be locked to guarantee that portable and wired mode are the same power mm -hmm. um, that you don't get from a gaming laptop. If you take a gaming laptop in the airport or in an airplane and you pull the power, then you get a different performance level. And yeah. there, so whatever you get, and especially if you choose a smaller capacity memory or less SSD, I promise you, it's not going to be that different because we're probably not getting games that target PlayStation 5 spec yeah. in terms of um, SSD access. Now, I could be wrong. They could very well have designed for Steam Deck only if you have the SSD model, but I don't see PC developers fracturing their player base just for that. Not yet, but yeah. maybe, maybe Rev Gen 2. That could be a thing. Yeah, We don't know. Do you, what do you think Valve is going to do in terms of refresh? Do you think they're going to try to um, put one out every couple of years? I mean, this is a different, like PCs, we get new models every single year. What is Valve about to enter into? I, I mean, the answer there is basically they control that whole space and yep. it's a PC. And that means they're just going to refresh it when things get cheaper. I don't think they're going to be like Nintendo. I think Valve is going to go, we are going to do a bulk order for this many units. Yep. We get this processor for the for the price point we're looking for. It happens to be better this year than last year. Same thing with RAM and all that other stuff. I just think every year and a half, they're just going to say, this is the new bulk order we put in. They're, you're not going to be stuck targeting a certain processor for five or seven years. I think mm. they're going to constantly sweeten it just a little bit. Not in a way, because again, we're not, I don't think we're going to be seeing a bunch of developers make games specifically for Steam Deck. They're making games for Steam, which already scale from your crappiest PC bang computers in certain nations that have, you know, public internet centers to the highest end RTX 70 million thing. Like that's already the case in PC. You don't yeah. need to make Steam Deck only games because games already exist for low power. Yeah, computers. they're all customizable and you can kind of set the spec basically when you're playing. And the, uh, the main thing is that developers will now just be able to have an extra flag in Steam that says, oh, this is a spec that we know of. Okay, we'll just have the settings menu automatically ready for you. And I right think on. we're going to see a little bit of that, not a ton, but at least I, a little. Or Steam Deck opti optimized kind of stuff, which I think is probably very helpful for the development community out there as well, right? They can yeah. and, kind and of be show it off on Steam Deck. It'll be an hour's work for a team to set that spec and have that pop up and get them higher on the Steam Deck storefront. Right. So they're all going to do it. Right. Yeah, very cool. So you think it's going to be a smash success? It, uh, we already saw that within the first 90 minutes, they had already gone through 110 pre-orders just from the data we could see. 110,000 pre-orders. 100,000, 110,000 in 90 minutes. That's incredible. That's, and again, remember, there's only going to be 22,000 of these coming out this year. Just <laughs> yeah. if you want perspective on that system. And that was in North America and UK and uh, much of Europe. Is it going to get close to uh, Switch numbers? Does Nintendo have anything to be worried about? No, Never. these are two. These are these are two players that are hitting a marketplace that has no shortage. Uh, yeah, they're both gonna. It, it'll be interesting to see it, which territories Valve targets because I think that's a big thing mm. of saying. Well, certain ta territories are Nintendo starved, so yeah. maybe we should hit those first. 
but yeah, that that's its own kind of soup. But and this bottom- kind of sort of removes from the equation of Microsoft ever putting out its own handheld now, doesn't it? Like, why would they ever know. want I to really, do that? I truly don't know. I have to imagine that Microsoft has prototyped its own oh, yeah. Game Boy, phone, totally. Switch, whatever, probably two a year since yeah. the Zune. Like, mm-hmm. they, I truly believe that that is just a constant, maybe this is the year kind of thing. The and Xbox as a brand is almost perfectly suited for a handheld in a way, isn't it? But let's let's not forget. Microsoft's philosophy is we don't care what hardware you use. True. We're going to give you the best service on that hardware. Yeah. And if Steam Deck number one works uh, with Windows, that's an option. Or open a web browser in, in the normal Steam OS. The normal Steam OS works with standard web browsers, including Chrome. And that means Game Pass. Boom, right there. You've got Game Pass. You don't, and in, you don't have to download things. No, there's no patching. It's just have Wi-Fi. Yeah. That's that will be an option. So I don't think I don't think Microsoft is that concerned. I think they really took their licks after screwing up Windows Phone and said, you know what? We just need to be on everything. Yep. Whatever people are using, we the just Netflix, need to be Netflix the best model. thing on that device. Totally. Um, I got a good comment here from, uh, I think it was Pathetic Earthling. Can I use my Stream Deck to stream my Steam Deck? I mean, yes. <laughs> you're going to be, well, I know I can say this. If you've got a nicer computer at your house, Steam Deck will let you stream from that PC to your Steam Deck. Yeah. That is 100%. And they haven't really talked about that. But I think that's going to be just a nicely integrated, boom, one click. We want to keep you happy inside of the Steamiverse kind of thing. I wonder if there's going to be some, uh, you know, some sort of aftermarket mods where you can turn Steam Deck into a phone. You know, you plug in like a little uh, 5G thing. Whole new side talk. And my head is not big enough for that. That thing is huge. Well, All we you need we is don't. an app on the machine and some uh, Bluetooth earbuds, and you've got a phone, right? You can do yeah. all I your mean, voice chats and all the stuff on it. I mean, good, does I it mean, have a camera on it? Uh, no, I don't no. think there's okay. a front-facing camera. Okay. Um, and I think that's for the best, having played Uno on Xbox 360 many, many right. moons ago. Yeah, you don't want the up-the-nose shot. <laughs> the, the Not very flattering shot. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, we uh, had a big event yesterday with EA Play, and uh, they showed off some stuff. We all knew Dead Space was coming. I think that was the, the big shocker kind of reveal, but not so shocking. How do you think uh, EA Play came together? I think it was funny that they had to spend so much time on their social media channels in the week before letting people know what was not going to be there. Yes. Which was honestly, they did that well. Mm-hmm. That to me, especially Skate to me was pretty brilliant where they essentially yep. said, we're not ready to show you something that counts as like a hype cycle game preview. Right. And st- instead, we're like, here's an example of mocap. Here's an example of gray boxes. And here's an example of, we don't know if it's true or not, but people saying they liked what they saw. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it sounded the way that that Skate 4's tease sounded or Skate, I don't know what they're calling it. It sounded like there's some massively multiplayer stuff. Like there was some like censored or whoa, like I, I think it's going to be a whole Skate-topia where people will be able to interact with each other in a very smooth way as opposed to a zillion people clustering, you know, Battle Royale style. It, so that to uh, me was kind a- of Apex funny. Skate. Sure. I mean, yeah. there's no reason not to find some sort of angle in that direction. But yeah. the, the there was Lost in Random, which seems to me is building on EA's understanding of what EA Originals should be, mm-hmm. which is just let people make something that they actually believe in instead of trying to chase a trend. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if that game is going to be good. It's important for a company that size to continue to do that. 
even yeah. if the sales numbers don't blow them away or their investors away, you have this platform, use it. And and they get to lot. It's one sweet point for there. There's a corporate side that wants EA Play subscription service to be. I think that's the name of it. They still want people to pay for that, even though Game Pass gives you that. But yeah, there's still and so that indie portfolio of EA Originals is doing work. That was only one game, but it's like that's an option for them while they're you know delaying whatever's next for Star Wars, whatever's next next for Bioware, blah blah blah. That gives them something. Then we got Codemasters which is just its own farm of car games. We just got F1 2021, yeah. just came out, and yep. now there's a new grid. So, you know, that's happening. That's going to be kind of like almost FIFA-esque, in my opinion, in terms of EA's one-a-year, two-a-year expect expected things. Um, and then there was not much in the way of sports, which I found surprising. Yeah, because cause they've got separate little things for all that, which I think is... I mean, they've been they've been listening to the feedback, right? Because everybody checks out that isn't hardcore on the sports. They check out when they throw sports into the middle of it. Right, there was right. no Sims as well right. in this thing. It was very much focused on uh, achievable deliverables. Right. But I will say this was a week where being silent about EA Sports is funny because Konami just came out and said we're doing free to play soccer because yeah. it's just about the microtransactions anyway. So let's just Let's do it. And that might be a huge game changer. If that does that, very well, I think a lot of the sports companies are going to have a lot of things to answer for. I think. I mean, I, I would say, I mean, this wasn't part of EA play, but I, I look forward to EA finally admitting that they're willing to give up the retail purchase a year and instead create a constantly updated free to play ecosystem. Yeah. Since they're just moving so many ultimate team cards and packs and those sports games anyway but when we go to ea play and what was shown knockout city still exists it's still wonderful i yeah. love this game yeah it's um, i'm cool. not playing it as much as i do because i always bounce from game to game to game because of my terrible life but um like it looks what they showed looked cool and it seems like in the studio there those are ex vicarious visions people yeah. and i love yeah what they did with knockout city and how long they got to make that game i'm so glad it exists that's still going to be on one of my top 10 games at the end of the year easily right on um and then we had a lot about, uh, well, we had the tiny dead space tease, which to me was just them. I mean, the really the only interesting thing, thing there was uh, next gen only, yeah. which to me is very indicative of how long this game is going to take to make. Because <laughs> they would not say that at this point with so yeah. many sold out PlayStation 5s and True. Xbox Series Xs. They would not have put that down if they were planning to release in 2022. No way. That's That game's a ways out. Um and then uh, what was the last big thing they showed? Oh, right, Battlefield. Uh, yeah. Which I, I was pre-briefed on this. I don't know if you were a part of any of these pre-briefings, but EA invited folks to uh, watch uh, uh, an online video presentation in a Q&A, and it was smothered in embargo logos. And sure enough, two and a half hours before the thing, it leaked anyway. Yes. I had never heard a company make so many mentions of an embargo in my life because they wow. got something spoiled last time they did this. And sure enough, someone did it anyway. So, yeah. uh, but the announcement there was that their newest game, 2042, it doesn't have single player. We already knew that. And so we knew the standard uh, brand new maps, brand new uh, weapons, brand new tech. That's going to be one mode with the classic multiplayer stuff. The second mode is called Portal. And it takes maps from Battlefield 1942, Battlefield Bad Company 2, and Battlefield 3, I think. 
those is, games is Vietnam in there too? Well, that's Bad Company too. Oh, okay, that was that was set in Vietnam. So, right. but that those three games, and then the newest game, and the idea is it's a custom it's metaverse. Match. It's a custom map metaverse. Yeah, you create modes with a web browser editor or with an in-game editor, and you just get this logic chain that you can break down all of these different numerical fudgings. So maybe certain weapons are more or less powerful. Maybe one super tank versus 64 people with um, defibrillators as the weapons. Like yeah. you can create these sort of number fudging combinations, put them into a server browsing list, and then let people kind of go at it on either the six old maps or the seven new maps. It sounds and like that, a, a focus testing exercise for where well, they go with the next battlefield. Well, it's, it, it, I, I heard and I'm like, are you just making players become the math game designers? People yes. complain about balance, so you're just going to let the fans create their own soup of, of trying to balance, or just make, you're just trying to punish players for complaining about balance issues. Like, oh, you think it's that easy? You go ahead and do it. <laughs> but the reason I point to that is because the reveal video almost looked like a battle royale thing yeah. where you've got armies from different eras with weapons from different eras just slamming into each other and screaming like it's uh, Zack Snyder's 300. But and it, it's not that, though, is it? It's No, it's, it's standard original modes and exactly original maps that you can't customize the maps themselves. Right. And once I started really looking into it, I thought, well, there's something called Forge. It's within most Halo games. Yeah. And it lets you grab the map and create all kinds of rules. See, I, that's the thing with Battlefield 2042. It looks great. And and they've had amazing trailers, and I know it's going to be fun. But there, it's there's so much competition out there, including Halo Infinite free-to-play and all, like Apex Legends, right? Which also had a big show-stopping moment in, in, at EA Play. Right. How are they going to differentiate themselves from all of this choice, this abundance of choice out there? And if you want to go metaverse, there are tons of games that allow you to kind of mix and match and throw all kinds of crazy ingredients into a fighting, into well, a shooting I, game. What I would say is that this portal mode tries to have it all and ends up having nothing is what it looks like mm. because... I think for objective-based multiplayer, people really want to change and tweak those objectives. Yeah. And Portal is more about changing the guns. I think, what, what if I could play with the gravity? Is that going to be a slider? It doesn't sound like it. Right. What if I could add a soccer ball and get the tanks to move the soccer ball around and create right. goals for that soccer ball? Well, that's not on the table. Like, you want to dream really big, and I understand why an editing mode can't deliver that. Yeah, it's, it's also a franchise, a battlefield that sort of adheres to some semblance of realism. You know, that's but one of the that things. Trailers, no, no, not after. Not anymore. The trailer. <laughs> they skip that. They no portal, and that's fine to me because portal is its own little chunk of. Yes. We're gonna, you've got twenty forty two. I mean, let's be clear. Twenty forty two is is super. Oh my god, it's a battle in a, a, a climate savaged world where yeah. refugees it, have become their own independent army. That's it's constructed so by the U.S. and it's the Russians. It's dystopian on on multiple levels, man. It's crazy. So yeah, they, I, I don't think this is not the game where realism is the selling point. Which yeah. it's okay if you go all in on it, but ultimately, I, I just think that when you tell people, "Oh my god, you get so much choice and so much customization." That's tough because people's expectations go through the roof. They, yes. they have all these dreams. Yeah. And at least what I was hoping for was them to understand that Battlefield is about interesting choices because of objectives. Yeah. When you only have so many people to handle this many objectives across a giant map, 
Those are the things that I want to see tweaked. Those are the things that I think would make compelling user-created content. Mm. And Portal does not give those players that. And instead, it's like, here, it's just action figures slamming against each other in the whatever way you want. That's what you want, right? I think it's a, a bit of a miscalculation. And they could fix it and correct it, but I don't see that happening until at least next year. There's or so, however many so much years granularity in... Uh, you, you know, and specificity around what people are going to choose to play in shooters. And it's such a crowded marketplace, you know, yeah. and I don't I don't know if that's the right direction. I feel like uh, getting more esoteric, you know, like time splitters, you know, and, and slappers only and golden eye. Like I feel like and I think that's why Knockout City has been a knockout, quite frankly. I think that it sort of plays with shooter elements, but it it. Uh, it turns things around, you know? Well, it, here's what here's here's my hunch. My hunch on the business slash top level producing side is we are competing against Call of Duty. Yeah. And 2021 might be a weak Call of Duty year, like just based on their projections, which it kind of seems like. I haven't really seen much noise coming from uh, a certain company about that franchise. So this would be the year to go, here's the world you land in. Right. We've got three modes, one of which still isn't announced. It's sort of like a tight, a tighter interpretation of, of battlefield uh i don't know what that will look like but if they can just get people in to buy the 60 70 game and hang out in these different modes and stay allegiant to battlefield yeah and not play call of duty Warzone and not do that other stuff if they can just own that and add enough variety and punt the single player in order to own that variety because the streaming angle and make sure we get influencers playing it like that's their bet is it gonna work I don't know, but I'm curious to see how the full game actually plays. And they're doing the trickle of information with things like EA Play, which they're totally uh, right to do at this, you know, while we're all stuck at home, not going to E3 kind of hype yeah. cycle. Yeah. So I, 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 we're all left with questions as to how it all comes together, but I just don't think Portal is quite cooked up in a way that's going to hit in what people want from customization. Yeah, I mean, we will see. I, I wanted them to show off a little Titanfall 3, this, you know, heavily, uh, like we've been dreaming of a Titanfall 3. But I think if had they have done that, especially with its sort of, you know, sci-fi futuristic elements, um, even though like the timing is right because Apex Legends has sort of sowed the seeds for Titanfall's return, I think it would have done the inverse of what battlefield did to titanfall 2 uh -huh. I, I think titanfall 3 would have totally stolen battlefield 20 no they're gonna they're gonna keep those they're gonna keep those spaced out for the for the rest of our days they're not sure. making that mistake again yeah absolutely well i hope it does come back okay we talked a little bit you referenced a little uh uh call of duty and i think uh it is our duty to have a little quick conversation here um I, you know not with the hope of solving this because it's a uh it's a massive issue in the video game industry, but Activision and Blizzard uh, are being sued by the state of California for the way that um, uh, they are allegedly, uh, you know, dealing with their employees. And, and um, a, a, there are allegations of abuse and sexual discrimination and sexual abuse and some truly horrifying things in this um in this lawsuit and uh i think it was like a gut punch across the whole business i think that you know the tweets i from myself and from you and from you know lots and lots of people that we know it's horrifying but it's a it's a reality in our business isn't it well i, I appreciate you bringing this up i really want to talk about this yeah. i went through the lawsuit once it went live mm. uh and what i found the first thing that i found striking about it because when you look at headlines 
number one, you're just trying to say a lot in a little bit of space. So these yeah. are allegations, meaning you sort you have to, as a journalist, get that language in there yeah. as opposed to listing off the worst things or the breadth of things. Yes. But what I want to say, I'm not saying anyone needs to go and look at the lawsuit, though it is absolutely there. My coverage at Ars Technica links directly to the lawsuit. It's a PDF. It's 29 pages. Yeah. The breadth of pay disparity allegations is massive. Yeah. This is the thing that really, really hit me that I don't think these articles are getting at, is that these investigators in California very clearly have a different paragraph for each kind of pay disparity example and have point to either a single individual or multiple individuals who were in the same boat. And the pay disparity again and again and again mm -hmm. is qualified women being paid less and given fewer opportunities than less qualified men. And what I what what strikes me about this is that you as a California investigator do not put those down in the lawsuit if you don't have receipts, if you yeah. don't have the emails, if you don't have the performance reviews, and if you don't have the emails from colleagues that said, you did a great job, you have tenure, you're qualified, and so on and so on. And this was in accounting departments and HR departments. This is game development departments. It was a lot of this stuff. So that yeah. was the first thing that really hit me was just them going, you, this, this stuff was being internally reported and tracked for a long time. So right. that's that. The harassment um, allegations and abuse allegations are vile. There's one example I think we've all, I'm not going to, it's not hard to find some of these examples. No. But what's really, what really struck me was people coming out and having more conversations because these, these investigators don't necessarily have a duty of listing every harassment example. No. That's simply backing up the case of women aren't getting paid much and they aren't given room to talk about that, to openly say, wow, these men are being treated very well. And the frat boy culture line yeah. was essentially, there's booze all around, there's men partaking in booze, pressuring people to drink, acting unprofessionally if they drink, and certain men being way too forward in terms of sexual advances once drunk in workplace events. So you end up on Twitter seeing more examples of the toxicity that is not going to be part of the lawsuit. Right. Because the lawsuit has only certain points to make. And it's the pay disparity ones that are big on the lawsuit side. And the worst thing, the 2010 BlizzCon speech that I saw today, I've yeah, never I saw seen that this. Too, the YouTube. This was a yeah. woman waiting in line. I have been in those lines as a fan before I had any sort of job like this. Getting, feeling that pressure to speak up and say something that matters to me, gets on that mic and says, I think it'd be really nice for women who are characterized in World of Warcraft to not look like Victoria's Secret models. Yeah. And the panel of men wait for the crowd to sort of react a mix of cheers and laughs and boos and say things like, which Victoria's Secret catalog would you like to, which catalog do you want them to look like? Yeah. I like these catalogs. It should look more like, I'm not quoting directly and exactly, mm -hmm. but the rejection of what I thought was a truly earnest question with the laughs of the entire crowd, what that said to me, number one, was how much of that room was united in jeering that woman. Yeah. And number two, I don't know about you, Victor, but this was the first time I'd seen it. Yeah. And that means there's a problem for people like you and me missing this stuff, having it swept under the rug, us not having these conversations, because that thing happening in 2010 and being silent for 11 years yeah. means how many other examples of this, of well, our people I, that we I think the frat, the frat boy comments are uh, completely accurate. 
You know, I think that this is an industry where a lot of people left college and left dorms and left that kind of party all the time kind of atmosphere, and they brought it with them to places of business. And there's a lot of people that have some gray in their hair now. They've been doing this for a long time. That's how they've come up in the industry. And what has not happened is that maturation across the board with the leaders, you know, taking the right courses and the right programs to kind of lift up their people across the board so that any new person coming into the space with their own worldview and their own ideas of uh, fairness and, and uh, you know, rising the ranks uh, has not been respected, you know. And uh, most of those people or a big compo- uh, component of those people have been women. Uh, but there are lots of marginalized groups across this industry. It's not, you know, just the video game industry at all. But the video game industry has matured financially. And the pay, the pay disparity is very clear to see uh, in those documents, you know, but we all know that, you know, we get, we see the investor reports, we see how much these executives are making out there. And we saw all of the issues that have been uh, beleaguering Ubisoft and the people that are working there. It is an incredible, uh, um, I mean, it, it just pulls the enthusiasm out of covering this pulls the enthusiasm, I would imagine, out of people going to places of business that create these things. Like, how do people have the passion and the fire to invest back in to a product that they are building in a creative space? And there are tons of excellent people that work at all of these companies, and Activision Blizzard have lots of great human beings that are very fair and that are just fired up to be um, creators and creative people out there. But how do you bring that when you're poisoned? How do you bring that into a space like that? And, you know, it's awful, but I think these conversations have to happen. I think we we have to hold people incredibly accountable. I, I, I don't know Bobby Kotick, you know, I don't have a bone to pick with him. But even with these allegations, how does a guy like that just go into work and, and uh, you know, smile through that? I mean, the the responses that Activision Blizzard have put out on a public level, and then there was an internal uh, letter that refuted and disputed and denied, which might be what the lawyers say to do just on a legal level. Like, this is the state we have to deny, because if we say anything that even sounds like acknowledgement, then we have to start spending money and we have shareholders to appease. That attitude's not going to get us any improvement just when we think about Activision. Uh, Today, some outlets have called for not talking about Activision Blizzard games until there's demonstrable change. I admire and applaud those decisions. I am not in a position where I currently work at Ars Technica to say something, but I am listening to that loudly. And I think we should all, everybody who writes about, talks about, and advertises the concept of video games as fun should think about what they're covering when there is this stench in the air. But not only that. Yeah, I agree. It's not just that we should be having these conversations. It's that we should look at something as lingering as that 2010 example and say there is a certain amount of work, conversation, acknowledgement, and outright shame 
that you and me as white cisgendered dudes, 100%. and all, many yeah. of these viewers, we have not done anything necessarily wrong. We have not gone into someone's workplace and said, men are better than women or things that outright. But the toxicity is insidious. It happens in small ways. It happens when we are and silent. And it's been through. happening for the 30, 40, 50 years that this business has been here. And we are not there anymore. And it, it is the, not it is not just our business. You but know? we are we are just as powerful in denying and being toxic as we are in acknowledging just as gamers in this audience. Yeah. You who are listening or watching yeah. matter. What you say has an impact. You right. can lift up with something very small because you can tear down with something very yes. small. When you have those moments to call out or share or just listen, because that's one of the best things to do amplify and listen your own words if you are someone who looks like me are not as necessary as lifting up and sharing and that's what i try to do in my day to day just not when not when there's a scandal but when there's just someone making something awesome is yeah. just lift up and share and listen so yeah. i encourage everyone just on the small scale you're not going to bring down bobby kotex check which probably should have been distributed to more women at activision if the allegations are accurate yeah you're, that's not what you're going to do but you can do something and there's decades of undoing this to do and we're gonna get better games and more interesting communities and happier people all around my final point is i got into games because i did not fit in i as a dude who i didn't realize as a kid that i fit in way more than i might have thought but yeah. i think of games as creating spaces for people like me to be the superheroes they never thought they could be right and i encourage everybody to have that attitude about every gaming space they're a part of it can just be a small thing about fist bumping somebody who did a small thing that didn't necessarily win the match but got one kill at a certain yeah. moment yeah. it can be tiny but it makes such a big difference so that's that's where i go with that the, the business has been just so focused on exclusivity and clubhouse all the way along, all these stupid console wars, all of these different, you know, this group against this group, and it's filtered up into studios, it's filtered up into the executive branches, and it, it needs to die. It needs to go away. We need to, we need to feel like this is a, a business for everybody, and it's safe for everybody to enter. Um, online groups need to be inclusive, uh, you know, reporting on, on games and talking about video games needs to be inclusive. It's, it's, I mean, there's no other way to go with this, you know? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you and I are talking about this and, uh, we each have platforms where we can bring on other people who look at the gaming industry in different ways than you and I do. And yeah. that's just what, that's something that you and I need to do going forward. And totally. let's set, let's set that example as best as we can, Vic. Yeah, I agreed, brother. Uh, yeah, it's a big topic and we're not done with it, but uh, we are done with talking about it today. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thank you for your support of Vic's Basement. Thanks for watching. Uh, and if you are listening, you can watch. Uh, we do Vic's Basement live quite often at youtube.com slash EPNTV. Thank you for listening. If you are listening to the podcast in audio form. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for uh, hitting the little bell to be notified. And thank you for writing a review. Uh, it helps a ton for all of you audio listeners out there. We will see you soon. Thank you, Sam. You are awesome, my friend. It was great Likewise. to see you. Very fun talking about all this stuff. Uh, and thank you all. We'll see you soon. And until then, play forever.